Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Jesus, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, folks, it's Ken Flo's favorite part of the week. It's the Anik and Florian Podcast, 193rd edition, one half episode in there as well. It is Monday, March 4th, 2019. It's good to see you, Flo. Video is not a part of the Anakin Florian podcast anymore, but for me, I like to be able to see every Monday morning. How you doing? Likewise, dude. Uh, man, what a weekend of fights. Um, can't wait to talk to you about it. And man, some exciting, exciting fights over the weekend. Wow. So we're going to get to uh, everything that was UFC 235. And of course, the UFC is in a stretch here of nine live events in as many weekends. So Ken Flo's got more predictions coming up for UFC Fight Night. Lewis versus Dos Santos, Wichita, Kansas coming up. Uh, that one is Saturday, March 9th on ESPN+. Plus. There's so much to get to uh, on UFC 235. We have about 11 minutes before we're joined by the great Ray Longo. So I want to start with Kamaru Usman, if I could. I don't know when it was. You know, I don't know if it was when he beat Alexander Yakovlev 30 to 25 times three or when he beat Warley Alves dominantly or, or a striker like Sean Strickland. But there was a time a long time ago where I felt like Kamar Usman at any given on any given Saturday night could be the best welterweight in the world. And I know his belief in that goes back to the time he was nine or ten and one as well. And he finally got his chance, you know, in main events against Damian Maia and Rafael Dos Anjos to get this championship opportunity and while some people are maybe surprised at the nature of the win, given the domination, I can understand that. But Kenny, Rashad Evans, your boy, and anyone who has followed this guy closely, they're not surprised at all to see a UFC welterweight championship belt around the waist of Kamaru Usman. Yeah, and I think there's a reason why Rashad Evans invested so much into Kamaru Usman early on in his career. And I was blown away. I mean, for me, that was probably the most impressive performance out of anyone that night. The fact that he was able to out-wrestle and dominate uh, a high-level wrestler and dominant champion like a Tyron Woodley, I think speaks volumes. Um, the pressure, uh, the intelligence of how he entered into the legs and how he was able to get to that clinch, the aggression that he had, beating up the body like he did, slowing down Tyron Woodley. Um, making Tyron just look confused at times, um, I, I thought was just uh, unbelievable. And, and Kamaru Usman just had the performance of his life. And he did it, I guess, in some part on one wheel. He acknowledged after the fact on the post show that he was in a boot uh, on Monday, but you're never going to be 100%. But it's been obviously a busy time with back-to-back-to-back five-round fights, all of them going the distance for Kamara Usman, uh, who now needs some time before he takes on Colby Covington. But yeah, I mean, I thought technically you hit on a lot of good things as far as this win was concerned. On the other side for Tyron Woodley, before we spin it forward for Kamara Usman, how, how do you assess the performance, um, you know, the inability to sort of get off, uh, the inability to go forward despite uh, every wish and command from Dean Thomas and Duke Rufus? A lot of people will say sometimes I have the, the greatest training camp of my life and I don't peak on fight night or I'm flat on fight night. Not the first fighter to have this happen to, but are, are you taking a leap that, you know, his prime is, is closing 36, 37 years old? Uh, or do you just chalk this up to... Uh, to maybe just a bad night against a, a superior opponent. 
Jeez, you know, th- there's a few things. Th- there's a bunch of things that can go wrong. Um, I-, I think it's possible that uh, Tyron is getting out of his prime, but I don't think it's probable. I, I don't see yeah. that um, being the case necessarily. What I saw, I saw a Kamaru Usman who was, um, again, a man on a mission. His eyes, the intensity of when he showed up, you, you knew he was ready to fight and he was yeah. going to give Tyron the fight of his life. When I saw Tyron... I didn't see a guy who looked to be in the same shape he was from the last fight or a few fights back. Like he, he to me, he didn't seem like the same guy. Um, looking in his eyes, it seemed a little different. I know that he has a lot of other things going on, both professionally and personally. I don't know if that got to him or or whatever it is. And I'm certainly not u- u- using this as an excuse for Tyron. Um, but to me, it didn't seem like it was the same Tyron Woodley. I, I, I'm just you know, being honest, uh, it, it yeah. didn't seem like he was into it. He didn't have that same passion. He didn't have that same focus while he was fighting. I don't know. Something seemed off to me. My twin brother echoed a lot of those sentiments and I dismissed it because, you know, he's kind of a hack and here <laughs> saying it. he's going to feel a lot better about well, his kind opinions, of a hack too. So. No, I think there, there's some truth uh, to that. Um, I, I don't know if this was as masterful at training camp is the one that, that Tyron Woodley had before the Darren Till fight. He seemed to intimate as much, but certainly there was a look in Tyron Woodley's eyes in Dallas for that Darren Till fight that maybe wasn't there for this one. No, and, and to get back to your point, your other point, which was well made, sometimes things just don't go well in a camp. I mean, yeah. I think every single damn thing went wrong for me in the BJ Penn fight. Like everything. I overtrained. I was I peaked probably a month and a half early. Yeah, it was right. injury, you know, a surgery for a tonsillectomy. It's like all yeah. these things can pile up and timing-wise you can get it wrong. I absolutely acknowledge that that is a real thing. Um that could have been the 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 culprit as well. Who knows? Yeah. Well, two things working against Tyron Woodley when it comes for an immediate rematch are just the one-sided nature of this fight and the looming presence of Colby Covington, uh, who will get to time permitting. But it doesn't look like Tyron's going to get the immediate rematch, despite having one of the best welterweight championship resumes in UFC history, four successive title defenses before running into Kamaru Usman. And just to put a bow on the Usman performance before we talk about this this Covington dynamic, I just thought there was so much good in there, right? And you hit on a lot of the wrestling stuff, but the cardio, Kenny, the conditioning, the strength and fucking conditioning to perpetually attack the body, right? The way he did UFC record setting type of output from Kamaru Usman throwing some elbows in there, Ken Flo, right? I mean, I think it's so easy for people to have dismissed Usman on his way here because maybe he wasn't finishing guys left and right that were far beneath him, right? He's minus 850, minus 1,000 against a lot of these guys who he's fighting early on in the day. Um, 10 and 0 in the UFC completely dominates Tyron Woodley as a plus 150 underdog. And uh, again, when you talk about these great performances by underdogs in a first time championship situation, huge, huge effort out of Usman Saturday night. John, when I looked at this game plan, I said, well, this is how you got to beat Tyron Woodley based on the skills of Kamaru Usman. You got to, you got to rough him up. You got to out wrestle him. You got to take him down. You got to beat him up in the clinch. You got to slow things down. You got to isolate that big right hand from Tyron Woodley. You got to cut off the cage. And to me, I said, you know what? That just seems like too basic of a game plan. If you're going to go out there and beat a guy like a Tyron Woodley who comes from that wrestling background, it just seemed too basic of a game plan. I said, how is he going to get that done? Well, I stand corrected. He absolutely was able to do that uh, in, in a dominant fashion. And, you know, this wrestling, this singular wrestling style is starting to make a comeback here with guys like Habib Nurmagomedov, Ben Askren, uh, Kamaru Usman. Um, I, I was blown away by the performance. So Woodley was a two-time NCAA Division One All-American pack. 12 champion pack 10 what god why am i getting that wrong pack 10 um, I yeah. pack 10 right yeah i'm just i'm thinking big university 12. of missouri big 12, big 12. yeah big 12. big 12 i'm, I'm thinking okay. how could it be uh, pacific 10 um so big 12 uh title for tyron woodley um a, a division two national championship at 174 pounds for Kamar Usman at the university of Nebraska at Kearney. This was an accomplishment that Woodley uh, was cutting down every step of the way during fight week. Chael Sonnen said on our pre-show that he feels like if you r- realize a national championship, even in D two, uh, that's a really big deal. And there isn't as much of a gap as Tyron would talk about Kenny. I don't know if you can speak to this, if we should get Sean gray on the phone, but 
Tyron Woodley said before the fight that if these guys wrestled just purely wrestling 10 times, he beats Kamaru Usman 10 times. Um, I, I, I don't see him beating Kamaru Usman 10 times in a wrestling setting. Any insight on that? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't know. But based on what we saw in the fight, um, I'm not sure Tyree could say that. Uh, Kamaru was uh, pretty much winning all of the exchanges, even when he wasn't taking him down. He was the man controlling Tyron. It wasn't Tyron controlling him. And yeah. there's a big difference. Just the way that he was able to utilize uh, the underhook and utilize his pressure and the efficiency of how he's able to lean his weight on Tyron and get him to fight his fight, uh, I thought was brilliant. So last four wins for Usman, all by decision, all unanimous. I don't know that he's lost a round in the UFC, Kenny. It had me this morning actually looking up the only time he had lost as a pro against Jose Caceres uh, in his second professional fight, who, who's just nothing more than a journeyman. But it's going to take a special effort to beat this guy, Colby Covington, the guy who's going to get the next shot. I would imagine it'll be International Fight Week. You know, Kamar Usman is really a fighter on the mend, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to turn around before July. Uh, how competitive is that fight? You know, I think recent memory is what it is, and if you're only as good as your last fight, Kamar Usman fought two nights ago. But I think given what we saw Saturday night, Usman's going to be, you know, a minus 350, minus 400 favorite, if not higher. I think it's going to be hard for people to envision Colby Covington, despite how good he is, uh, beating Usman over five rounds. I agree with you. Listen, I think that he's a little bit bigger. I think he's probably a better wrestler than Colby. Um, you know, striking-wise, I think they're probably about even. Um, Usman might have more power, however. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough for Colby to beat him. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think there's one guy who can beat Kamaru Usman at this point based on what we've seen, and it's Ben Askren. Yeah. Well, then let's get to Ben Askren just for a couple minutes before we bring on Ray Longo. Oh, man. I mean, is this just not perfect for Ben Askren's UFC debut? It had it all. Uh certainly looked like he had been in a fight after the fact he got slammed on his head by ruthless Robbie Lawler who was absolutely in the shape of his life who was absolutely a better fighter than he was at any time prior in my opinion going in uh in a pro career that dates to 2001 he was healthy he was ready to go he almost tore Ben Askren's head off and, and a couple seconds later Ben Askren by submission Dude, I, I was watching that, and when he came out, I was like, uh, Mr. Lawler, can, can you please put your muscles and veins away? You're scaring the children. You're scaring the children uh. with your eyes. What do you do? You are a psychopath. I mean, uh, he, yeah. looked, he looked as scary as I've ever seen him, and he came out, and then you see Ben Askren, who looks like anyone's dad in middle America, and you're like, Wait, what are they doing? How are they allowing this guy to fight that man right there, Robbie Dude. Lawler? And, and Robbie went out, and he slams him on his head. He pounds his head into the canvas, and Ben Askren somehow, in, in Homer Simpson fashion, gets yeah. back to his feet, outrests, and then all controversy ensues. And that was one of the craziest fights I have ever seen. And I'm being honest. I mean, it was... It was a roller coaster ride of emotions for me. I mean, just ridiculous. First of all, the power and speed that Robbie Lawler showed oh, at yeah. his age after so many years in the UFC. Um, and then, you know, that was like it's going to be his welcoming to, to Ben Askren. You say, well, this guy is completely outgunned. I mean, Ben Askren can't even disguise the fact that he can't strike when he shadow boxes. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. but he's still an amazing fighter. And I'm saying that kind of jokingly. But I'm not. Ben right. Askren is still a handful for anybody. He is such a damn good wrestler. It is scary. Oh, yes. And, and uh, again, if he gets his hands on anybody, you are in trouble. And uh, it, it's just it's wild that Robbie Lawler still has form after so many years fighting, you know, since he was a teenager. And then you had Ben Askren with that toughness. Uh, and his wrestling ability, man, I, I wish it went down a different way, but I don't know. Both of these guys are just savages. Oh, no. Askren is going to suffocate a lot of people to the ground and then choke them out one way or another. There's yep. no doubt about it. There's so many layers and nuances to his wrestling game that we didn't even see Saturday yep. night. And despite having a looser core than the host of this podcast, right? I mean, it's incredible, right? I did say, I think on the post show, maybe at some point in time after we talked to the great Ben Askren, and by the way, absolutely fucking love this guy. Like, total breath of fresh air. 
Ben Askren. Um, but I say, you know, when, when Lawler's hitting him in the body, I believe early on, or like you feel like maybe it just would help to have a little bit of a tighter core, you know? <laughs> but I think for Askren, this dude, he is just one of a kind, man. He truly is. I saw him banging a pastry at Starbucks, Ken, for the morning of the fight without a fucking care in the goddamn world, you know? Um, all right, we got to table that for a second. I want to get your thoughts on Herb Dean, the stoppage, all of that. Um, but there's one thing about Ray Longo, as nice a guy as he is, we've said it repeatedly, he hates when we're late. Let's get to the Ray Longo match. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And the legend Ray Longo now joins us. It is 1.02 p.m. Eastern time, two minutes after the Ray Longo Minute was scheduled for today. Sorry about that, Ray. How are you? Very good, man. Lots, 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 lots to talk about today, you know? Oh, tons. We'll take it for as long as we can have you. I don't know where exactly you want to start. We led the show with Kamaru Usman. Kenny thought it was the most impressive performance of the weekend. No argument from me. This is a guy who I I really felt like eventually was going to get to the top of the heap. I thought finally when he got the title shot and Tyron Woodley was the guy there, it wasn't going to be easy. But 10-0 and in the UFC, I don't know that he's ever lost a round in the octagon and made it pretty dominant against Tyron Woodley. And I, look, I think that's the impressive part. He not only won, but he won in the manner that he wanted, you know, in which he wanted was phenomenal. I mean, he made, he made that look, <coughs> look easy. Yeah. I, I yep. was, blo- I was blown away as well, man. Um, yeah. No, me, me too. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Ray, you know, there was another uh, fight at 170 pounds, Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler. Uh, I mean, I think my emotions are still up and down from that roller coaster ride. Uh, Crazy fight. What did you think about um, the performance from Robbie Lawler, the performance from Ben Askren and and how it all ended? Okay, here's, here's my two takeaways from that fight. Yes. Robbie Lawler is an absolute class act. Great guy. Ben Askren is absolutely tough as a motherfucker, man. Oh, I don't. It's I, crazy. I mean, how do you get? How do you get rid of that guy? I mean, you know. So, yeah, unfortunately, you know, it ended the way it ended. I, I don't believe Lawler was out, but I think you know Herb at least did his due diligence. He lifted the arm. He tried to, you know, he made the call. And I guess you know, like again, if you're there for the fight of safety, you can't argue with it. But I thought it was unfortunate, and I don't believe Lawler was out. I thought he articulated that perfectly in the, uh, his press conference, but, uh, wow. I mean, I, 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 I the, the guy took a beating and he was able to come back and mount anything is just, that's phenomenal to me. And like, again, uh, uh that was like, it's like you say, while it lasted, it was absolute chaos. I mean, you, you, hmm. you, those fights, you know, your heart comes out of your chest, but, uh, you know, still overall was a good thing. And, uh, you know, like, again, I think it was a shame because I would have loved to see the way that fight played out because it did look like Aspirin was operating subconsciously, like on rubber legs, even when he had him against the, uh, the cage. So, <coughs> but Ray, Ray, are you okay? Ray, Jesus Christ. No, no, no. I had a rough week last week. I might be coughing a little bit. Stop smoking those backwards before the show, my man. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the smoke. Gotcha. Wait, John, can lungs. we get that via Skype? I hope that's not, uh, yeah, contagious. All right. Well, listen, Ray. Uh, the other, the other fight uh, that was really interesting to me, and, and I, I felt bad for uh, Cody Garbrandt. Again, this is a guy who was on top of the world. Um, again, got too emotional, in my opinion. Just stood there yeah. in the pocket. He's fighting a great fight gets emotional and just starts throwing haymakers with Pedro Munoz and loses. What, what, what do you do with a fighter that is getting overly emotional? How do you, how do you deal with something like that? Again, not only was it, um, you know, an unfortunate loss, but this is kind of the third fight in a row where he's kind of gone off script. So what did you think about the whole thing? It's it's a, it's a bad thing. This guy's emotions are going to kill him at this point because he can't control them. And that was definitely a winnable fight for him, but he chose to just throw caution to the wind at a time where he probably could have picked them apart if he was just a little calmer because he's got the power to do that and the technique. But, man, I, you know, you could – I mean, one of the things you could try is to get him emotional and just make him relax right away. Right. You know what I mean? Like, 
I mean, like almost like, you know, you know, you, you almost get in a car accident and your heart's beating, like jump out of the car and shadow box. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to be able to tone it down. How, I mean, I could come up with some stuff, whether it would work or not. I don't know, but uh, it's got to be something like that, where as yeah. soon as you hit that code red, you're able to pull it back and, you know, start breathing again and then refocus. So I don't know, man, because that's a guy now that he's, He's in a weird position because his chin is not going to hold up like that much longer. It's not holding up now, and and he's getting hit with big shots. He's not getting hit, you know, he's not getting tapped. So I don't know, but it's definitely a case of where his emotions are just ruin, killing him at this point. And he's a good guy, but somebody's got to jump in there. And uh, I'm going to say like a sports psychologist is where he's heading. That, that would be the only thing to, to do is to try to, get him to realize when he goes into that code red and just, you know, be able to act calmly. Yeah. Yeah. When things get wild, his natural instinct certainly is not to reset and protect himself and raise his guard. It's to uh, get in a fight. And again, I know him well. I mean, he, he and his brother used to, you know, drive 25 minutes and beat the fucking hell out of each other away from their mother. Right. Yeah. Time and time again, amateur boxing repetitions you know, more than maybe you'd even like, football. right? Uh, play, yeah, football played middle yeah. linebacker in the state of Ohio, had yeah. 150 tackles in a season. Uh, the dude knows one direction, it's forward. And I, I, th- I exactly. think these are some some thick stripes to be changing, sports psychologist or otherwise. I'm just not sure he can do it. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is a good quality, but he has to focus that quality. He just has to hone it. He's yeah. got a great quality, man. You want to come back. You know, right. uh, who was the other fighter that, you know, you know, even like a guy like Bisping, man, he gets hit, but he comes right back like nothing happened. Yeah. But he's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a great quality, but he's not using it the right way at this point. So yeah. you want your guys to have that spirit and that 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 aggression, but it's got to be controlled aggression. It's yeah. just you can't be reckless. Right. All of that being said, all credit to Pedro Munoz, and hopefully Kenny and I have some time on the backside to talk about him and, and everything that he's yeah. put on paper in terms of his Bantamweight resume. Your guy, Aljamain Sterling, was really inspired by this fight and I think by this Munoz performance. And I think you're looking now in this Bantamweight division at a big four or five that includes both Munoz and Aljamain Sterling. Um, I know you haven't talked to Aljo because the fight just happened, but... I mean, what do you what do you think his appetite might be to to either a main event against Munoz or a possible fight with Pedro? Given the fact that the Cody fight, I would think for Aljo has less upside given the result this weekend. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know Aljo. If you look at his tweets, I think he really just wants to fight. So he's he's yeah, open yeah. to anything. Right. And uh, you know, I think Munoz <clears throat> definitely is a force to be reckoned with. He's really, really he's coming off two really good performances and. Uh, uh, yeah, Aljo just wants to fight and he wants a big fight and, uh, I think he's going to get it. So I don't know how much advance notice you get as to who's going to be refereeing your fighters fights, but I, I wanted to talk to you about a little bit of inconsistency we saw this weekend and eventually we'll get Kenny's take on Herb Dean in the Robbie Lawler, Ben Askren fight. But in terms of the main event and the co-main event, in terms of the clinch work and fighters working offensively, I thought Herb Dean and Mark Goddard handled some similar situations very differently, just on total sides of the spectrum when it comes to separating fighters, Herb Dean not even warning John Jones at any point in time and just allowing him to fight and work offensively in a lot of clinch situations. And Mark Goddard with one of the quicker triggers I've ever seen in the Kamara Usman fight. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that and, and how those two men handled those two situations. Uh, I mean, Sorry to put you on the spot, but... Uh, well, I don't know. Where, where do you start with God? I think God and I'm, I'm actually starting to feel sorry for. I, I don't know why, but I, he just doesn't get it. You know what I mean? Like, here's the problem more with anything with what Mark did. Uh, and, and the other thing is, like, he's telling the guys this is a fight. Like, he knows it's a title fight. Kamal Usman and Tyrone right. Woodley, he knows it's a fight. You guys, this is a fight. Like, they don't know. Like, yeah. he's above them. You know, it's a little condescending. And the other thing is, like, even in the post-fight with Kamal, I was focused. Nobody was going to break my focus. Tyrone Woodley, whatever he did, I was going to stay focused. Guess who broke his focus? Mark Goddard. He said, that's the only right. time that. I'm in half guard, I'm pounding the guy, and the guy stands me up. He got to refocus. So that's where it's a problem, where 
he was able to actually almost take Kamal Usman, who's a super hyper-focused guy, out of his game. And that's not right, man. That's the problem. I, listen, my phone rang off the hook after he did that. Nobody gets it. Yeah. And this is why I feel sorry for him, because he doesn't get it. You know what I mean? And he's something. I don't think he's like a bad guy, but he just, uh, the arrogance is just, I don't, like, she's not seeing it. That, that's the problem. You yeah. know, and I know when, when the Marab thing, he told me Marab was out. He was in the fifth row. Like, he knows, right? Listen, 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 Ray, Ray, he was out. <laughs> like, there was no evidence. You know what I mean? Like, whatever happened in the Lawler fight, you know, and I'd like, I'd like to know what his take on that was. Does he think Robbie Lawler was out? Lawler definitely wasn't out. But again, at least Herb did his due diligence. He picked up the arm. He, look, I think he made a bad call. And yeah. you know what? Refereeing is a problematic job. You're not getting away. Something's going to go wrong eventually. You know what the problem is? When a guy can't admit it's going to go, uh, that something went wrong. That's the problem. Right. We all right. know that. We all, we all forgive people. Herb's a good dude. You can at least talk to him. You have a laugh with him. I bet your Herb felt bad about that afterwards. You know what I mean? But he did try. He did lift the guy's arm up. He went through a process. And you know what? You act on the side of, of caution to protect the guy. And that's what he did. Was it right? I don't think. And that's just my opinion. But, you know, you move on. Look at Lawler. That shit happens. And that's it. But when you get guys that are just, they cannot evolve and admit they're wrong. And they just act like they're above everybody. That That's not a good scene. That's not a good sight. You know what I mean? I I think you nailed it, Ray, because with Herb Dean, you saw him. He looked at Robbie and he apologized immediately. He's like, you saw his face and he just said, damn it. He's like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I thought you were out. He made a mistake and he acknowledged it immediately. I I think the problem is if you want to get better, if you truly want to get better, if you truly want to get, and it can be hard. You know, we build up this thing, this image of Kenny Florian or Mark Goddard or Ray Longo, whoever it is, and we want to protect this thing. But if you want to get better at whatever it is you're doing, you got to be able to take criticism. And and it's hard. You know, there's the mean people out there. But at the same time, you got to be able to listen and acknowledge it. And I think Mark Goddard is a longtime martial artist. He does know the sport. He knows what he's doing. But sometimes you get caught up playing someone else's instrument to to a certain extent and and thinking that you got to you got to make it exciting for the fans. Listen, it's a sport. Yeah. Call the call the fight the way it's supposed to be called, and that's hey. it. Who cares about anybody else? But exactly. at the same time, you got to listen to what the feedback that you're getting. Exactly, and he's not going to listen, and I think that's the problem. And the other thing is, you know, there's rules. You're there to just uphold the rules in there. You know, he might be a victim of spectator syndrome. You know what I mean? Where he's viewing that fight as a spectator. Who yeah. knows what he's doing? But yeah. Uh, you know, he's going to take this the wrong way because that's who he is. And it, instead of, you know, you know, agreeing to disagree or something, he, he's just going to uh, probably going to go off the rails. I mean, because he that's the issue. That is the that's why I say right. I kind of feel bad for him. I don't think he's a bad guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think when he goes in there, he wants to do the right job. But, you know, some guys look, some guys you tell a joke to they get it. They, they get the punchline right away. Some guys get it a week later. Some guys <laughs> never get it. Some guys <laughs> never get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? And this right. is the issue. You know, that's why I say I feel sorry for him because inherently I don't think he's doing anything on purpose or he's malicious. Right. He's right. just, you know, it might not be the thing for him, you know? I'm just like, it's amazing. Kamar Usman set all these UFC records for strikes, landed and thrown, and yet he got warned several times despite an historic offensive UFC output. I need to leave it at that, Ray, because I have to get to two other things. Okay, that's, you know, I rest my case. And let me just say another thing, too, with that, before I forget, is that if he's a martial artist, Kenny, he should appreciate the work that Usman was doing down there. Couldn't agree more. If he's a martial artist, he should appreciate that. Couldn't agree more. It should reward it, not take it away. Where the guy's looking at you like, dude, is there something wrong with you? I'm beating the the guy's ribs to death. That's the thing. Goddard is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, you know, from from an awesome school. He's experienced. He knows what it is to be on the ground. That that's what was so surprising to me. Um, it's like this this 180 switch that has happened, and I don't know. I I, I don't quite understand it. I, um, I respect the guy, but uh, um, 
I don't know. It was it was it was a funny decision. I don't know. Hey, yeah, uh, said, just, uh, yeah, go ahead. What we got? No, sorry, I just got to get to two more things with you, and I don't want to keep you too long. But yeah. so we saw two very demonstrative corners in losing these championship fights with Mark Montoya with, with Anthony Smith and then Duke Rufus and Dean Thomas really letting Tyron Woodley have it. And certainly for Anthony Smith, he, he didn't do really anything offensive over the final 11 minutes of this fight, despite the wishes of his corner. Uh, I, I give both corners respect for really telling it to their fighters like it was, despite not getting what they were asking for. I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on on just how oh, assertive man. those those corners were and, and why maybe their fighters weren't able to pull the trigger. A hundred percent have something. Dean Thomas, I give an A-plus. Unbelievable job in the corner, trying to do everything he can to motivate his friend. I thought Dean Thomas did a great job. And he was emotional. He was, uh, you know, you could see he was passionate. That's his buddy. How are you letting this guy do this to you? You know how to, he does know how to fight. It wasn't like one of those things he's not telling them what to do. He wasn't really doing anything. So yeah. uh, I'd have to think of, you know, you can only try. I mean, Dean Thomas can walk out of that fight. He did his best. Uh, uh, Tyrone Woodley, unfortunately, walks out of that ring not not in the same vein as Dean Thomas. You know what I mean? Dean Dean really tried. I mean, I thought that was a great job. I, I actually called Matt. I go, Dean, man, what a job Dean did there. I mean, yeah. he was down to, like, what, what's going on? And I think Mark, look, Mark said something to uh, Anthony Smith. Like, he couldn't get him to go forward, but if he's not aggressive, he's not he's not Anthony Smith. And then after that, yeah. maybe he gets a little crazy with, you know, where's the lion heart and that kind of crap. But he right. did say, look, you're not, you're not going to be effective standing that's not who you are right you know yeah. it's like making cody yeah. garbrandt you know fight going backwards it's not gonna yeah. happen like if you know what i mean like it's to, to, to be effective he had to move forward and something look it's not easy john jones is super talented but something was interrupting him from moving forward Ray, I would have just said that the only thing is with, with uh, Anthony Smith's corner, and I agree with you with Dean Thomas. He did a phenomenal job. And Anthony Smith's corner, the only thing is he kept talking about being tough. I, I don't know about you. I think Anthony Smith's pretty damn tough. I don't think it had anything yeah. to do with that. I think it was that 84-inch reach and all those weapons that John Jones. Tell him how to get in the inside. Tell yeah, him yeah, how to yeah, move yeah. forward. That was yeah, the only thing I think yeah. he could have. Instead of just kept going crazy with the Lionheart stuff and the you got to be yeah, tough no. and tough, tough and Lionheart. I mean, tell him what to do and how to do it, damn it. But I think he did. I think I think he did start off like that. I think he did say, yeah. look, if you're not going forward, you're not who you are. I think that was pretty good. I, I agree with that. But then he could have said, listen, man, move your head, make a miss, get inside, rough him up, make it a dirty fight, yeah. get knocked out. It's better than what we're doing now. I mean, that's exactly what I would have said. I'd, he, and I think he did say, go out on your shield, get yeah. knocked out. Don't don't do this. This is not gonna. This is gonna be something you're gonna regret on Monday morning. And you, yeah. I mean, he could have been a little more like Dean Thomas. That's why I like. I like the emotion. I like knowing the guys. You know, he he, he he's heartfelt, and uh, you know, you could see those guys are friends. He did not like what he was seeing, Dean going down. Yeah. And he tried to motivate him. It wasn't yeah. like a technique thing. I mean, the guy knows how to wrestle. What's he gonna tell him? How to wrestle right. a guy? Right. Yeah. I don't know right. what happened there. I don't know what happened there. No, I think in Dean's good. case, it was appropriate. He looked him right in the eye and yeah. he said, I'm not playing. He goes, you need to go out there yeah. and start fighting. Yeah, and I agree. That exactly. Exactly. So I think Mark started off, but he started getting a little uh, desperate maybe when nothing was happening. And he was trying different methods and it, it maybe came out wrong. But I mean, I like Mark. I know him. So he's a great coach. He's on a good run over there. But I'm sure he's really disappointed in what happened, like really disappointed. And I know you are not disappointed that Ally Quinton might get Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who we bringing in to uh, to simulate that Cerrone style. When's this fight happening, Ooh. Ray? Uh, I you know I don't know. I mean, obviously Dana said something. I don't think it's a joke. You know, I talked to Al about it. So hopefully it happens. And uh, we got a lot of guys that we could bring in for that. There's a lot of fights. I think on record that lay out the blueprint on how to beat Cerrone. So I think it's a great matchup for Al. Um, I think it'll be an exciting fight. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I love Ali Quinta. So uh, anything he does, man, I'm in there 120% with him.
Can't wait. All right, my man. Have a uh, great rest of the week. By the way, you missed on another main event. You had Woodley over Usman after uh, losing on Cain Velazquez. So, uh, <laughs> I, a couple. I, I, here's the difference between me and Mark Goddard. I can honestly tell everybody I suck. Yeah. I suck there you go. There you I got go. no problem with that. Wait, yeah. wait. Before I go, a couple of shout outs. First of all, I want to give a quick shout out. Bob Bennett, I think, did a great job uh, accepting some of the rules, but. You know, taking that, that two hands on the floor, he didn't accept that, which right. is a waste of time and does nothing for anybody. So hats off to Bennett for at least thinking outside the box and saying, listen, I'll take a couple of your recommendations, but I don't have to take anything. And I think that's the way it should be. The ABC should make recommendations and you pick what you like and you you don't, you don't take what you don't like or what doesn't make sense to you. And yeah. Diego Sanchez, come on, guys. Oh, my that God. That was awesome. Come on, awesome. Kenny. You gotta love this guy. Uh, he's a beast. He is an absolute uh, savage, and uh, uh, I got that upset pick at least. Yeah, you did. Oh, you yeah. did get that. Good for you. I man, did. Yeah. I gotta tell you, man, what a good guy, and just wish all good things on that guy. I think he's uh, he's always been such a nice guy, class act, with a great, you know, great for the sport. And again, I don't know. I just there's something about him winning that just makes me happy. You know, I like I awesome. like seeing that. He is an amazing human being, and we'll talk a little bit about that on the backside. All right, Ray. Hey, thanks for the extended time, man. A little extra in your paycheck this week. You just got to start picking winners, and and this, you know, this Christmas check this year might be really fat, but you just gotta, you know, just gotta tighten up those picks. You know what the problem is? I I do, I do appreciate what you're saying. I do think backstage at the Barkley Center, I saw Usman. I said you're definitely the next champion. But, oh man, you know, I love I love Dean Thomas and, and Tyrone's a great guy. And, and and I think part of the problem with Tyrone now, that I'm thinking about, he does great with the announcing. And I think there's a problem we see with all of these guys that become champions. They do outside stuff. He's rapping. He's making movies. He's doing great with the announcing. And I think it just mentally takes something away you know i don't know that's that's yeah. all i got but, well that's a good way to end it buddy thanks for the time we'll talk to you in uh less than seven days kid beautiful man take it easy have a great week guys thanks Ray. there he is ray longo every week dating to episode one of the anakin florian podcast so we're like running out of time tj i don't know if we can text this guest picker and back him up five minutes or so so Anthony Smith uh, in defeat to John Jones. I mean, certainly we could spend 15 minutes, Kenny, technically on John Jones yeah. and just how violent and myriad his weapons are and, and feel free to do so at any time. But there's so many layers to this Anthony Smith loss, right? The lack of offense that I talked about, the unbelievable durability. Um, and somehow this guy's like not even bleeding after the fight, just heart for days. He absorbs the illegal strike, doesn't take the DQ win, which – he certainly could have done. What I wondered about on the post show, Kenny, was if this was just your average fight, right? And maybe Anthony Smith making $125,000 to show, another $125,000 to win. And Elvis Mutopchic knees him in the head on the ground. And all he has to do is say, I can't continue. And he makes a quarter of a million dollars and he has three little girls at home, right? A little bit different than his championship situation when you're fighting John Jones to just take your W in that situation. I have so much respect for his desire to win it the right way. But I do think if the circumstances were different and those were the circumstances that maybe things would have been different, but a lot of respect for, for John Jones and certainly Anthony Smith and defeat flow Saturday night. Anthony Smith is an honorable dude. Uh, having met him, I am not surprised in the least that he went out and, and made that decision. Um, Anthony Smith is a legit dude. He is a true fighter uh, through and through. So that did not surprise me. That is the way it should be done. Uh, Anthony Smith is a G, no doubt about it. Um, listen, as far as his performance, shit, man, I, I think this is just the way I saw it going down. When I see a guy like a John Jones completely neutralize a guy with a lot of weapons and Alexander Gustafson, when I see a guy in John Jones who's able to make an amazing, legendary fighter like a Daniel Cormier look normal out there, I mean, there was no way that Anthony Smith was going to be able to touch John Jones. That's how good he is, and that's why John Jones is John Jones. He does not fight you in his in your strength. He will find a way to expose you, whether he knows it before the fight or during the fight. Mm. He will adapt. He will find your weakness, and he will expose it and destroy you. That's how good John Jones is, and I think we all talk about his physical characteristics, and there are many. There's no doubt about it. Um, 
However, his intelligence um, should not be overlooked. He will go yeah. down as one of the more intelligent fighters in UFC history, yeah. not only because of all the weapons that he can employ, but the way that he employs them. He is a brilliant fighter. Good luck beating that guy. Uh, he can completely make you disappear. All of your strengths will disappear in a fight yeah. when you fight John Jones. And now at 31 years old, I would put him in the group of the hardest workers in the game. He's an outstanding teammate, has a huge heart for all the people that are close to him, is exceedingly coachable. And this team, Kenny, that John Jones tried to give every ounce of credit to during fight week, right? Think about, I mean, Greg Jackson, MMA genius, Mike Winklejohn, striking genius, right? Roberto Alencar. Izzy Martinez, Brandon Gibson, right? This is uh, just so many masterminds under one roof three or four times a day. Um, John is getting better. And again, I think it's just going to take a Herculean effort out of Tiago Santos or, or even somebody at heavyweight to, to get this guy off the perch. And that's the thing, dude. You nailed it. He is getting better. That's the way it's supposed to be done. And when you get a guy like John Jones who's finally now fulfilling that potential, and listen, I, I think he was continually getting better throughout his career. I don't think that has ever stopped or that we saw John Jones that kind of looked stagnant in his progression as a martial artist. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it's it's um, it's unbelievable. This guy is, truly is a martial artist and a student of the game, and, and that is scary. Uh, um, so the, the fact that he's sitting down on his punches more, the fact that he, he's def more defensively responsible and aware of where he's susceptible. And, you know, you, you contrast that to, you know, and I hate to use this as, as an example, cause I, I love Cody Garbrandt, but you know, the discipline also in John Jones to say, right. I'm not going to go out here and throw this away. And yes, I could probably go out there and stand toe to toe with Anthony Smith and knock him out. But I'm not. I'm still going to look good in the process, but I'm not going to throw it all away in being reckless. And what's interesting is that coming into this fight, Kenny, he had only fought four times since the Alexander Gustafson fight, despite the fact that that was five and a half years ago. And that was the night on which he learned all of those valuable lessons about what not to do in terms of underestimating a guy and in terms of not making the right adjustments or whatever else. Right. So he was able to learn all of these loss type lessons in a win and you're just, we just, he just hasn't competed that much. You know what that doesn't mean? He wasn't getting better. Uh, maybe Maheta will be next. I think it's a very intriguing fight. Um, and one that would certainly, you know, get me up off the couch to hit the, uh, the pay-per-view buy button. So we'll see if, if that's the next fight for John Jones still remains to be seen what Daniel Cormier wants to do. Uh, and also too, I think it was ambitious for John Jones to think he'd be able after fighting late December to fight four times in 2019. He says he wants to make $20 million this year. Uh, this was a hard five round fight. I think, I don't know if he's going to be able to turn around before July, but maybe it's international, international fight week for, uh, for Johnny bones. So I, I want to get your thoughts on, on Robbie Lawler and Ben Askren. And I think there's just so much respect for both of these athletes, right? In terms of what they're able to do, but the end of the fight obviously left a lot to be desired in the moment. Uh, it looked like the arm went limp, but when Herb Dean Dean went to, to get the arm, he didn't necessarily give it a chance to drop back down. Lawler protested immediately. I don't know what you can give us in terms of the bulldog choke and whether it, it can, or is easy to render someone unconscious with what happened there. And, uh, on what side of it do you fall? Okay. So this was a tricky one, man. I will say this, um, you know, Rogan thought he was out and it when arm dropped, you've been in the jujitsu world and you've seen guys pass out and you see an arm being active and it just drop and go limp and rest on the canvas. It looked like he was out. I, I absolutely agree with Rogan. Uh, it looked like he, he had gone out. The one thing that maybe an experienced referee should have done. And it's very easy for me to say that, uh, right in hindsight is to grab that arm, lift it up, and see if it goes back down, and to really get in there and look at Robbie Lawler's face. I don't know if Herb Dean really looked down and looked at Robbie Lawler's eyes to see whether he was in or out. Right. That's the only thing I think he should have done to really confirm that. But, man, it really did look like Robbie Lawler was actively trying to get out, and all of a sudden that arm that was reaching for the head of Askren just went completely limp. So it looked bad. It looked like he had gone out. Yeah. Um, the bulldog choke, though, it, it can absolutely render someone unconscious. Uh, yeah. If it gets around the neck, you can definitely put someone to sleep with it. Um, 
it looked like it was kind of around the chin, but again, the angle was tricky from where I was seeing it on the camera. Um, that that's a tricky one. And also in Ben Askren, if you go to his Instagram, there's a few videos of Ben Askren yes. smashing watermelons and pumpkins with that very same grip. Yes. So he could break a jaw. He could put you to sleep, whatever it is. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't want to be in there against Askren. No, I know right. what I'm doing when right. someone tries to choke me. I don't right. want to be in there. Right. So uh, man, that was a tricky one, dude. And it was one of those, it's almost a good thing because neither of those guys lost, right? You're like, I don't want to see any of these guys lose. And yeah. I don't think you could say that Robbie Lawler lost that fight. So right. it, it was almost a good thing And when I looked back at it because both of those guys just showed an immense amount of heart, will, determination, and fighting skill. That I that, And it's so contrasting. The styles are so contrasting, too. I yeah. thought it was just a, a fascinating oh, fight. Oh, yeah. But it, it definitely left me wanted more, wanting more, and I hope at some point, I don't know if it's going to be the next fight, I hope at some right. point they, they run it back. Yeah, and I think Robbie Lawler's going to have a healthy appetite to try to turn around quickly here. He didn't absorb any damage, and I just feel like he put in a great training camp and was in such a good physical and mental place that why would you want to, you know, after taking all that time off, his knee finally got healthy, right. sort of reap the benefits of the training camp and turn around in three or four weeks. There's a show every weekend, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And you are starting to see increasingly in the UFC, guys are getting fights four or five weeks out, Kenny, right? Just yeah. the first matchup they're getting is four or five weeks out as these cards and locations come together. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you. I'd like to see Ben Askren get the Darren Till, Jorge Masvidal winner and He's going to be in London as a guest fighter, so hopefully that's something that happens. Uh, all right, so real quickly on Pedro Munoz, and then we'll get to Diego Sanchez. You know, as we mentioned on the broadcast, Pedro Munoz is training with the 2016 Olympic gold medalist boxer, Brazilian boxer. I'll get his name while Kenny's talking about this fight, but I don't quite think the UFC masses fan base-wise realizes what they have in Pedro Munoz, right? Uh he is a tremendous boxer with a ton of power, with an iron chin that he'll put up against anybody's in that bantamweight division, including Marlon Marais. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with a ton of outstanding chokes. I think he's a real problem, you know, and I'm excited to think he might get Aljo or even Marais at this point in time, but... Um, I, I don't know how surprised you were with the result. Maybe you were surprised that, that Garbrandt wasn't more disciplined, but Pedro Munoz is a fucking beast. He is a beast, and, and I think those are the guys you cannot forget about. Those guys that are quietly training all the time and, you know, not really making a big fuss, but are actually in the gym, working mm -hmm. hard, training hard to become a champion, a guy who is humble like a Pedro Munoz, and a guy that when you look at all of his skills, he's dangerous on the feet, he's dangerous on the ground, he has some serious finishing skill, and he is tough as nails. He is absolutely a problem, and he might just be fighting for the belt in the near future. Um, that's a guy you really got to watch out for. And again, I think we all knew that if Cody decided to just get reckless in that fight, that he could have been in trouble, both with a guillotine choke on the ground or uh, getting caught with a big shot. Because Pedro Munoz is a legit threat everywhere. Uh, he can wrestle as well. So, yeah, yeah, man, that, that was a dangerous fight for Cody. And I think um, we were going to find out a lot of information of how good Pedro Munoz is, you know, whether Cody was going to be, you know, back on a championship track. Uh, we got our answer. Munoz is, is definitely a problem. Over 800 jiu-jitsu matches for Pedro Munoz, two-time Brazilian national no-gi champion. Uh, the first Brazilian boxer to win Olympic gold in 2016, I'll try his name out, Hobson Conceição. Uh, he trains under Luis. Yeah. So he, he plays on, he, he trains under Luis Doria, uh, junior Dos Santos is longtime boxing coach. So there was yes. the connection for Munoz. Munoz had so many great things to tell us, Kenny, just in our fighter meeting three days after his win over Brian Caraway, he sparred this Muay Thai champion against his coach's wishes, but wow. he didn't want to relinquish the opportunity to, to work with this guy. You're right, Kenny. You, I mean, you nailed it right off the top. He's in the gym every single day trying to get better. Uh, he is of a singular focus. Very excited to see where he can go. One other thing that I thought you might find interesting, you know, he used to train at King's MMA under Rafael Cordero and alongside Cobrinha out there before moving to Florida and training at American Top Team. Uh, and Cody Garbrandt's camp asked both Cobrinha and Rafael Cordero to help Cody Garbrandt train for Pedro Munoz, and both of them respectfully turned Garbrandt down. Wow. Uh, and that it later got relayed to, uh, to Pedro, but it just speaks to 
loyalty from Cordero and Cabrinho, but also it just speaks to Pedro Munoz and, and what type of regard people hold him in to not just go help out the former UFC champion despite an opportunity that might be enticing. Uh, 100%. Dude, that's respect right there because yeah. they're not not—they're no longer working with them. They have no responsibility to do that, to, right. to stay, hey, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to The fact that they did that means they, they hold Pedro Munoz in high regard. Yeah. All right, last thing before we get to the predictions for Wichita and the pronunciation of the week. Diego Nightmare Sanchez, Kenny, I know you've got a lot of respect and had to feel good to see this. He gets the finish of Mickey Gall, who talked a whole lot of shit, said he was going to render Diego Sanchez unconscious in the first round, begged Dana White for the fight. Um, so this is a setback for Mickey Gall. But for Diego Sanchez, Kenny, going through a divorce, you know, right now his wife doesn't Want, his wife wanted him to retire. There's just so much on Diego Sanchez's plate. Such a good human being. Uh, and this is his first finish, Ken Flo, since June 21st, 2008, when he TKO'd Luigi Fioravanti at the Season 7 Ultimate Fighter finale. First bonus for him uh, since 2013. 37 years old. Two straight wins. What else can you say, man? There's only one Diego Sanchez. What a stud, man. Um, again, Going back all, all the way to season one of The Ultimate Fighter, you knew Diego Sanchez was a true fighter. This guy loves to fight, um, and he has brought that same style uh, and become extremely effective all the way up to 170 pounds. And um, Mickey Gall is a young, motivated fighter uh, with some decent skills. And the fact that Diego Sanchez was able to really dominate in that fight. Now, obviously, in the first round, he had some some tough situations. But you knew Diego Sanchez was not going to give up. This guy will never give up. Uh, he ended up making the right adjustments and, and just pounded on Mickey Gall. And uh, I, I was super happy for him. Diego Sanchez is a guy who has dealt with a lot in his life. Um, I was not aware that he was going through a divorce right now. That is really tough to deal with. And the fact that he was able to go out there and perform like that against a tough guy in Mickey Gall, I think says a lot. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we encounter outside the octagon uh, can hit you harder. And, and the fact that Diego Sanchez was able to put that aside and, and focus on this fight, um, again, is just another testament to, to how tough and how mentally strong Diego Sanchez is. Uh, at one point, he lost 18 matches in a row wrestling as a sophomore in high school. Lost 18 matches in a row, became a state champion as a senior at 152 pounds. That's you know? Sanchez right there. I mean, yep. what else can you say? Uh, congrats to Diego Sanchez, and my apologies to Whaley Zhang. We love you, but we are out of time on the UFC 235 recap. All right, the pronunciation of the week is brought to you by Mayrocky BJJ. MayrockyBJJ.com, 11677 Santa Monica Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. MayrockyBJJ.com. Kids judo class. By the way, kids can sign up for a free class right now. So if your children are in the greater Los Angeles area, you can sign up for a free class right now. MyRockyBJJ.com, 424-389-4038. Yeah, you're the man. All right, so the pronunciation of the week is back because the pronunciation police is growing in size, and we have just got to keep this cesspool in check. So uh, this is a fighter who competed against Cody Stamen over the weekend. TJ DeSantis care to give it a crack as to who Cody Stamen fought at UFC 235. Alejandro Perez. All right, it was close, but, and I love you, and I'd love to get you uh, in the win column, but the syllabic emphasis was off. Let's hear how Alejandro says it. Alejandro Perez. Alejandro Perez. Damn it. So, Ken Flo can certainly speak to this. So it's Alejandro Perez, right? But it's Alex Perez, right? right? The UFC flyweight is Alex Perez. That's how he says it to tape. And for Alejandro, it's Alejandro Perez. Now, before Ken Flo chimes in here, disclaimer, we have every UFC athlete say their name to tape, and that is what we go by. We try very hard not to Americanize names. We say them the way they want them to be said. Uh, and I got a tweet, Kenny, that said, it's Alejandro Perez because he's Mexican and speaks primarily Spanish, while Alex is American of Latino descent and primarily speaks English. So in Spanish, Perez is Perez because of the E, while Perez is Perez because it lacks the accentuation or punctuation on the first E. I don't know. Can't and fucking tell. No, and that's absolutely correct. And again, guys, I mean, they don't know you. The problem is they don't know John Anik, and they don't know how OCD you are, and and – how hard you work to get the like little things like this right, and this is just one of many little things that John Anik tries his hardest to get right. And you guys think you're going to correct this guy? Come well, on! 
Uh, I love oh, you for saying that, but it, it, it is a practice makes perfect situation, right? So we voice a lot of stuff before these shows, That's and in want. my room, I say Alejandro Perez several times, and I know listeners right now, they're like, God, there he goes, you're fucking annoying hearing me say that, and I know it is, <laughs> I'm annoying, right? But we strive very hard, as Ken Flo says, to get these things right, and if you practice them in your room repeatedly yeah. during fight week, then when it comes fight night, uh, you're able to get it done. So I'm sorry that a lot of my fellow Americans out there feel like every time they see P-E-R-E-Z, it's Perez, but I hate to break it to you. Um, it isn't. Uh, all right, another fight card coming up Saturday night on ESPN Plus, UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Dos Santos. Welcome to Wichita. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Annick. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fight. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, Ken Flo, no looking at your phone during the standings this week because I kind of want to see your face. It was 18-18 going into UFC 235. You went head-to-head with Jeremy Angward, this New Yorker who likes the Boston sports teams. He produced the single biggest points total in the history of the main event challenge. Dang. 14 points. He went 8-0 on his picks. He whacked three underdogs. Diego Sanchez, Pedro Munoz, Kamaru Usman. Ken Flo hit four times. You hit on Diego Sanchez, but uh, Team Anik wins the week 14 to 6. Ooh, 32 to 24 going to the UFC Jesus. Wichita. Ken Flo knows a thing or two about a comeback, though. Uh, with us to make picks today, I think we've got another New Yorker from that 516. Evan Wasserman is with us. Evan, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Thanks for your patience. Are you, uh, are you a New Yorker? I am a New Yorker, but I live in Hollywood, Florida now. Hollywood, Florida. We should have had you in studio in Boca Raton. I'm not far from you. Um, all right, so we've got five selections today on this UFC Wichita card. Let's start in the lightweight division. Benil Daryush minus 180. Drew Dober plus 150. Evan, don't look now, but Drew Dober's won five of six. He's the underdog here against Benil Daryush. What do you think? Um, I'm leaning towards Daryush. I think uh, his last, well, his last fight, he got caught by Hernandez. But the fight before that, he was um, going back towards his grappling and jujitsu, and uh, I think he's going to stick with that. I think uh, the Hernandez loss was kind of a fluke. He kind of was thrown off by Hernandez charging him with his hands out, and then he got caught quickly. I think uh, Dariush is going to get back in the win column this week. That's good analysis. Ken Flo Dariush has fought the tougher schedule. Dober's never had more UFC momentum than he does right now. Any thoughts on this one at 55? Yeah, listen, I, I think Drew Dober uh, is a tough guy. I, I just don't see him having enough skill to really hurt Benil on the feet. Um, I, I think he can give him some trouble maybe in the wrestling department if Benny's trying to take the fight to the mat. But I think Benny can still uh, take Do- Dober down. Uh, and from there, I think he would be in trouble against Daryush. I'm going to go with Daryush. I think he gets it done. All right, the king of Kenosha, Ben Rothwell, is back. He hasn't fought in nearly three years. Dates to a five-round unanimous decision loss against Junior Dos Santos. That was in a main event in Croatia, April of 2016. Rothwell plus 110 against Bogoy Ivanov, who's the minus 130 favorite. Evan, big fight here at heavyweight on the main card. Who do you like? Uh, This one's a little tougher. Uh, Rothwell with the three-year layoff, kind of uh, just a little hard to make the decision. With that, I think uh, I'm going to go with Ivanov. I think he's, uh, he's fought more recent. He's a pretty good counter striker. And I think uh, Rothwell might try to charge in and go for it to uh, make a big statement on his comeback. And I think uh, Ivanov might just catch him. Yeah, Ken Flo, a lot of betters, sharp betters, probably wouldn't be in a great rush to the window to bet on a guy who's staring at a three-plus-year layoff or just under that, I guess. Uh, even off coming off a unanimous decision, decision loss to Junior Dos Santos as well. That was his UFC debut uh, back in Idaho in July. Um, even on power, you know, good chokes, Kenny. Um, what do you think he has for uh, for Big Ben Rothwell? I don't know. This is interesting because we haven't seen Rothwell in a long time. I wasn't so impressed with Ivanov. I think that he's a tough dude. There's no doubt about it. Has an excellent chin. Um, can be hard to, to, to take down. I don't see him I don't being such a threat like Ben Rothwell is. I think Rothwell hits harder. I think Rothwell is a little bit more dangerous with his submission skills. We haven't seen Rothwell in a while. I'm not sure what to expect. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go with the underdog here, Rothwell. 
And I will say Rothwell's the type of guy who's very calculated like Robbie Lawler. He'll tell the UFC when he's ready and when right. he is, he's put in a full training camp. So uh, it'll be good to catch up with Rothwell during fight week, but I can see why you went in that direction. All right, Tim means business. Minus 200, Nico Price plus 170. I like this matchmaking, Evan, here in the welterweight division. Two just violent fighters and finishers. Which way are you going, Tim Means or Nico Price? I'm going to go with Nico Price. I uh, I like what I've seen from him. I know his last fight wasn't uh, his best. I just think he's um, he's pretty interesting striker, and I'm uh, he's pretty good on the mat, too, and I'm a fan of his, and I think uh, he's going to get it done against Tim Means. All right, so Evan likes Nico Price, plus 170 of the price. Ken Flo, 19th UFC stat here for Timmy Means Business. 10 UFC wins. Nico Price is a wild man. What do you think of this one? This is a tricky one. Nico Price is very dangerous. Um, And I I think that as far as his power, he might hit a little harder than Tim Means. I think Tim Means is more a more technical striker. Uh, But, man... I'll go with Means here. I, I think Means gets it done somewhere in the clinch, um, or he, you know, gets it done by decision. I, I think Tim Means' experience also is a factor uh, in this one here against Nico. But Nico's scary. Uh, but I'll go with Means, and I will go with the under two and a half rounds with Tim Means and Nico Price. All right, co-main event, one of four welterweight fights on the card, all told. Close one according to Las Vegas. Evan Elizio Zaleski dos Santos minus one fifteen. Curtis Millender minus one hundred five. Who do you like in the co-main, Evan? Um, I like uh, Millender. Zaleski's a fun fighter. He's got really awesome strikes from different angles that you don't really see often. But uh, Millender's got a little bit of a reach advantage, and he's a pretty good kickboxer. And uh, I think he could keep him at a di- uh, keep Zaleski at a little bit of a di- distance and um, either catch him or just outpoint him in the fight. See, I like this Evan Wasserman cat, right? You can tell he's done his homework, gives you a couple nuggets, and then he's in and out, 15 to 30 seconds. I mean, exactly what we're looking for. Kenny Milliner's won nine fights in a row. He's 3-0 in the UFC. You know how I feel about Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos. Total animal, six UFC wins already, and six straight. He lost that split decision UFC debut to Nicholas Dalby. Has been on fire since. Um, This might be his toughest test, though, I think, with respect to some other guys that Dos Santos has fought. What do you think here about the co-main event? Eliseo Zaleski Dos Santos, the slight favorite right now. Very interesting fight. Uh, Curtis Millender is a guy who I know who trains with uh, Raymond Daniels, who is a fantastic uh, karate fighter and kickboxer uh, in Orange County. And, um, you know, I think who better than Raymond Daniels, one of the best strikers in the world uh, to train with to get ready for an interesting style, an aggressive style like a, a... Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos. So, you know, but I think for Millinder, the only thing that kind of I think he needs to do more of is throw more combinations. And sometimes I think he he looks to outpoint you more than kind of uh, put together some some devastating combinations because it's not like he's not capable of doing that. He's absolutely capable of doing it. He has excellent size for the division, uh, long legs, utilizes them very well, knows how to keep distance pretty well. But I think Dos Santos and his aggression and his ability to pressure you and, and look for those openings, I, I think he might be able to catch someone like a Curtis Millinder or at least get him tired late in the fight and, and get the win. I think Zaleski uh, Dos Santos get, gets the win here. All right. And he is slightly favored to do just that. All right. Main event, heavyweight division. The former champ, Junior Dos Santos, favored right now at a modest 240 clip against the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Who comes back about plus 190 or so? Uh, Evan, need a round and a method of victory here for the headliner. Who do you think wins the main event in Wichita? This is going to be a great one. I think these guys are just going to stand and throw in the middle of the octagon. That's uh, been their style. Uh, Junior Dos Santos is pretty good. His boxing is probably one of the best as a heavyweight. Um, Black Beast is just, he's just a monster. I think he can take a lot of punishments we've seen in his fights. And all he needs is just one to uh, drop him. And uh, against Tai Tuivasa, JDS got caught a couple, like once. Right. So I think, uh, I think uh, Black Beast can stand the damage. I'm going to go Black Beast, second round TKO. Black Beast, round two TKO. All right, Evan Wasserman, good job, man. Thanks for, uh, for coming on. And, and if you beat Kemflo, we'll have you back in the queue before the year's out, man. Great job. Thank you for having me, guys. Have a great one. Look at that guy, Evan Wasserman. You know, just clean. He's a beast. Fresh and clean. 
I mean, I don't know what he's going to do to top Jeremy Angwer, who got me 14 points. I mean, that's like a big chunk of my annual total turned in in one week. Dude fucking hops on with the flow, goes 8-0. Absolutely incredible. Got every pretty much round and method of victory right. I think he had Johnny Bones by decision. Uh, No, he didn't. But he had, I think, Usman by decision. Uh, All right. So need a main event selection out of you. 19th UFC start for Dos Santos. Looked pretty good, obviously, in that stoppage of Tai Tuivasa in December. The recent title challenger, Derek Lewis, not good for him against Daniel Cormier in November. Black Beast figures to be pretty motivated here for this main event. Uh, Who do you like in Wichita, and how do they get it done? Very dangerous fight for both men. Um, I think this might be one of the few fights that we see Junior DeSantos try to hit some takedowns and put Derek Lewis on his back because sometimes the range at which... Very susceptible himself. Um, and you do not want to get hit with a big shot from Derek Lewis. So for Derek Lewis, I think he has to be ready to try to defend takedowns. Believe it or not, yes, I think Junior DeSantos may try to take down Derek Lewis. Um, but, you know, obviously DeSantos has tremendous speed. I think he has the speed advantage against Derek Lewis. I think Derek yeah. Lewis probably has the power advantage, um, if I'm being honest, uh, especially with the hands. So I think DeSantos has more tools. He just has to fight very smart in this one. I think Dos Santos gets it done. Let's go with round two. Uh, let's go with TKO. All right, Junior Dos Santos, round two. Technical knockout. We'll give you a point for the knockout, too, of course, yeah. as well. All right, that is going to do it for this week. Uh, pretty inspired episode today. Quick turn for us, though, next Monday. We'll recap this Wichita show. We'll also break down what is just a killer main event coming up. Uh, in 14 days, March 16th, the Gorilla versus Gamebred, Darren Till, Jorge Masvidal. With that, for TJ DeSantis, Ray Longo, Kenny Florian, John Anderson, so long for now. Thank you all for listening. We love you. We'll see you next Monday. Enjoy the fights. Don't text and drive. Yo fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.